A Shot of Life is sponsored by the Toronto School of Management's NCA Prep Program. Get in touch with Anton on Facebook or email ncaprep at torontosom.ca. Find out how you can start prepping for your NCA exams on your own time on demand through pre-recorded modules taught by Canadian-trained expert lawyers. Get study guides and notes that cover the entire NCA syllabus. Mention the discount code ASHOTOFLIFE to get 10% off your purchases. You don't have to study alone. Get in touch with Anton and get started on your journey to becoming a lawyer in Canada today. Welcome to A Shot of Life, a podcast aimed at highlighting the personal journeys of professionals and entrepreneurs in Canada, taking a snapshot of the person behind the professional title. I'm your host, Anton Haswell, and this is episode 33 of our NCA series. Our 33rd guest is Afsana Gibson Chowdhury. Afsana is a designated qualified mediator and founder of Gibson Chowdhury. Originally from Britain, Afsana was called to the Bar of England and Wales in 2007 and entered the role of solicitors in 2010. She worked predominantly in the personal injury, medical malpractice, and insurance defense sectors. Following her move to Canada in 2012, Afsana established her mediation practice in 2019 and now mediates in Canada and Britain. Hi, Afsana. Hi, Anton. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Thanks um, for agreeing to be on the podcast today. Oh, no problem at all. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, so we we kind of got introduced to each other, ironically enough, through um, this podcast, and it was it was shared by sort of a, an acquaintance or a colleague of yours, as I understand it, and and you kind of got to know a little bit about what I'm up to here with with the podcast and the aim of it, and um, I'm very grateful that you decided to reach out to me, and I'm excited to learn a little bit more about you and and your journey. Yeah, I know. You're, you're very welcome. It's always interesting to kind of meet new people. And um, uh, LinkedIn is uh, fairly new. And by that, I mean, maybe about five or six years old to me. So and I'm always looking for opportunities to to meet new people and also kind of see what they're doing, take an actual interest in what what my my colleagues and friends are, are doing and see how I can help to elevate their, their business as well. Right. So, and, and I think that's what builds a really nice community. So when I saw what you were trying to do as well and, and the fact that the NCA is kind of connected with me, too, I just thought it was a perfect opportunity to reach out and um, see what your what you're doing here yeah and hopefully through this conversation we'll figure out what each other are up to um and so the best place to start is always from the beginning and as this is kind of a podcast series focused on legal professionals or at least people who have been trained in law at some point in their life I'm wondering if we can start there sort of where did you where did you study law and what was the initial um motivation or inspiration to get involved in the legal field? 
Yeah, well, from my accent, it's no secret that I am, in fact, English. Um, so I, I'm, I grew up in England, I was born in England, and um, since a very young age, you know, my, my dad would always say, you know, uh, he really loves the work of lawyers, he's always been involved with them to some extent, and he's, um, he's had, he has five daughters, and he's always kind of wanted one of his daughters, you know, to pursue a, a career in law. And the more and more I grew up hearing that, the more I kind of um, took interest in it. And when I got to a level of education in England uh, during what would be the high school equivalent here, you know, there was an option for me to pick law as one of the subjects, you know, just to see kind of what, what really is involved and whether it interests me at all. And from that moment, really, I was just completely taken. I loved the, uh, the, the history of it. I loved the practicality of it. And it's just something that really kind of clicked with me. So mm. um, I then went on to pursuing it at um, a university in Sheffield, which is where I was, uh, I was born. And I decided to stay with my parents during my university years which I'm sure they didn't appreciate, but I did because I saved mm -hmm. all a bunch mm -hmm. of money. Um, and so um, after that, I went on to training um, at bar school in, um, in Bristol at the University of the West of England, um, which is where, um, you know, the, the barrister's course that you do there is very different to how we study for it in, in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, in England, it's more involved. It's, it's a one-year vocational course. And it's all extremely practical. So day one, you walk in to your university classroom um, and you're basically handed a brief and said that, well, you're going to be up in court in two hours. So you need to know what you're going to say. And from that moment on, you're basically ready in a courtroom situation, um, looking for clues, looking for ideas of what needs to be done, how, you know, what, whether you even have any advocacy skills at this age, mm -hmm. everything is being tested from the minute you walk in. So we, we had a year of that where, where it was completely uh, practical work being done. So you got tons of training. And, you know, once you come out of that situation, and you've got your articling and everything out of the way, your first day on the job is a very practical one, you know, exactly what needs to be done, you know, exactly what's going to be happening. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously, as a new practitioner, there will be surprises coming your way. But we being trained in England, we, we were extremely well trained to, to deal with the job from day one and and at that stage we're only 25 years old right so we're very young mm -hmm. when we come out as as lawyers yeah so yeah, um, I was, that, then I, I was thinking when I went to um sorry I'm going to pause it here just there seems to be a minor delay <laughs> so um just I guess yeah. we'll have to keep keep that in mind between the two of us um when we're It'll be difficult, but I suppose we'll just try to feed off of each other when we're finished a point, because I, I don't want to overstep or, you know, interrupt you and have us sort of go back and forth. Um, so I'll just pick it up now. Yeah, I was going to say, um, Afsana, interesting experience you had at the, um, I think they call it the BPTC, right? The BPTC course. Yeah, it, it's changed names a few times, actually. I think it's gone back now to being called the BBC, if I'm not 
if, if I'm not wrong. But when I when I was doing it, it was called the Bar Vocational Course. Um, and, and yeah, I guess since then it's changed a few times. Right. And I had um, a friend of mine when I, I like I got my law degree in the UK in London. And so I didn't know anything about bar training versus solicitor training, anything like that. Um, but it did strike me when my friend was going through the bar training course that it was quite advocacy heavy. Um, it really did appear to train you up to the role that um, you would be filling once you complete sort of that, the academic side of your training, you get more into the actual practical working side of your career. And I, I wonder what your thoughts before we sort of get into more NCA stuff and things like that, just if you can look at it um, from your perspective, what are your thoughts on the differences between the way that, let's say, an Ontario candidate here in Canada has to go through um, to get their call to the bar versus what you would have to go through in the UK? Um, I, I don't think one is really right over the other or wrong over the other. I think it's just the differences in which uh, we're, we're used to. Um, in, in England, I know that because of the level of practical help I got from the very start, even kind of honing me as like a, as an effective advocate was incredibly helpful on the first few weeks of practice. And, and you know, always to look good in front of other practitioners too, that, you know, we're, we're always kind of given that help, I guess, as new practitioners or kind of um, the, the confidence can often be a little less amongst new practitioners, but actually showing people, showing the senior practitioners how you advocate and how confident you are in your advocacy, all kinds of helps you to get a leg up in, you know, in furthering your career, advancing your career faster. So from, from that angle, it was extremely helpful. And, and aside from that, it was 100% enjoyable too, to constantly be under the pressure somebody watching mm. you somebody helping you you know telling you well no you can't cross out examine like this this is how it must be done and then just really training you to be you at your optimum um so so that i found helpful and then um comparing it to how you know we, we obviously do multiple choice in in england in canada um before sitting the bar here I hadn't actually done that much multiple choice at all, which people in Canada tell me, you know, they, they have had a lot of practice in doing multiple choices. Mm -hmm. So that is something that I couldn't quite get my head around um, whilst I was writing the bar. Um, so it, it was very different. And I'm not sure that, you know, comparing it to the English one, it's any, it, it, what one is better than the other, but from a practical aspect, I know that the Canadian lawyers kind of need that extra push toward getting the help in terms of advocating, in terms of uh, understanding the art of advocacy, understanding the art of negotiation, and all those little things that get lost in translation when you're focusing on the theory. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. It's really good also to get some perspective from people who have experience in both um, sort of jurisdictions. So stepping back again a little bit from you writing the bar, um, bar exams, what inspired you or what motivated you once you completed your law degree? And 
you know, the bar training course in England, why come to Canada? Oh, uh, so um, the, the move to Canada was really motivated by the, uh, for, well, first of all, my husband, um, he's, uh, he got a really good opportunity in Canada, which we just couldn't turn down. And the reason why we couldn't turn it down is because the recession in England back in 2008 had really affected our career and how far we could really go. Um, and, and we could go as far as we wanted. It's just that it really wouldn't be reflected in the lifestyle that we were attaining to. And um, there was a lot of changes in the laws going on around that time, around 2010, 2011, that, that eventually would have kind of affected our legal careers. And so as soon as the Canadian opportunity presented it, presented itself to us, we decided, hey, you know, it's, it's time to try something new. Mm. And so when you make the decision to come to Canada, often I'm curious, you know, because having been born and growing up here um, and not really, you know, in my adult years now being able to travel across the country for various reasons, sometimes leisure and mostly business, um, I guess it was your decision to come to Canada and your decision to come to a particular city was predicated on your husband's job opportunity. That makes sense. But did you give any thought to, you know, Canada's a big country. Um, where are we going to live? I, I didn't have much of a choice, to be honest. I mean, when my husband got posted out, we were posted to Calgary to begin with. We weren't sure mm -hmm. whether that was going to be a permanent fixture or not. But at the time when we arrived, I was actually um, almost eight months pregnant with my second child. So I had lots of other things on my mind. I actually couldn't right. care less where we lived. <laughs> so <laughs> and, and I knew that the NCAs was going to be somewhere in the distant as well, because, you know, with the children, you know, me being pregnant and then having one young child with me at the time you know it, it, it wasn't on the cards so then once we once we were in Calgary which we thoroughly enjoyed I mean the backdrop of you know in Alberta you know who's going to complain really um, mm. it, it was extremely it, it was a very um, it was a very lovely experience but we knew by the the end of two years that it was time to move on and having come from England where it's it's quite cosmopolitan you know whichever big city you go to the law law um, field is very active there's lots of lots happening whereas in Calgary we both kind of felt like it's it's very relaxed in comparison to what what we're used to uh, and so, you know, an, another opportunity presented itself within the same company for my husband that, you know, we, we were able to move to Toronto. Um, and then since then, I've literally never looked back. I am in love with Toronto. I love the city. I love the people. I love, um, you know, the, the law, legal um, community here. I think everything kind of, I, I felt like it just landed on my lap. <laughs> That's good to know because, uh, like, I I agree with you. Toronto's great. I mean, talk about cosmopolitan and and multicultural and all of that. It, it's the epicenter for for that. But it's always curious and interesting for me to hear the perception of others who aren't from here and what their thoughts are. And obviously, 
in Canada, it's it's a huge economic and legal hub. So if you're doing business or you're in the field of practice of law, it's a great place to be. Um, so uh, getting into the technical side of your journey in terms of looking to perhaps get accredited, perhaps, um, you know, get practicing law, maybe. Um, what goes through your head? Like you mentioned, when you first came to Canada, um, I would imagine that the practice of law, while it was there kind of in the back of your head, it really wasn't a focus for you being eight months pregnant um, with your second child and already bringing, a, you know, your first child over. Uh, it's a big move and a lot to get used to. So I am curious, how long did it take you to get acclimatized to the country and get used to it and then start to pursue, um, you know, your career? Yeah, it's uh, it's a strange one because before we even made the move, and um, I could I can tell you that actually when from the first moment where the Canadian idea presented it to itself, four months later we were actually in Canada. So it didn't really take us that long to kind of decide, pack up, and leave. Um, but what was happening in the background was that. Um, during that full month period, it, my legal career had to be protected. I wanted it more than anything else. Um, of course, you know, aside from my children and their, their well-being. Mm. But, you know, it, it was always the case that, you know, I needed to make sure that as soon as I get to Canada and as soon as I'm able to, I can just pick up from where I left off. Um, obviously, it was never going to be that easy to for, for, for that transition to happen. But I did do a bit of research and I, I knew about the NCAs. I knew, I knew that I would have to apply to find out, first of all, how many exams I would end up having to do um, and all the nuances and, and, you know, from state, from province to province as well. I didn't actually realize um, before I researched this that the, the laws are different depending on which province you're in. You know, so mm -hmm. if I got certified in Alberta, then I would have to get recertified in Ontario again. So I, I did actually make a mental decision to to hold off um, certifying myself in in Alberta until we know, you know, whether we're going to stay in Alberta for the longevity of our of our stay in Canada or whether we're going to move on to a different province. I hoped that we would have moved on, which mm -hmm. we did. So then, um, once we arrived in Ontario I think my son was 18 months old at the time and I decided you know I'm going to get back into work and at the same time I'm going to um, start the NCA process as well um, and that took a while you know you have to gather all your certificates from England get all your good certificates and standing etc so it took a while and, and within that time I fell pregnant with my third child hmm. <laughs> um, so um, so then um, when I finally uh, applied and my application got accepted and I was told how many exams I was expected to do, I, uh, that was back in 2000 and I think 2014. And it was 2015 that I did my first exam and I was seven months pregnant at the time. You know, so it, it, there was never kind of a break from um, protecting my career 
and knowing that this is, you know, wherever I live, however far I go, this is always going to be a part of who I am. So whatever it takes, it's going to get done. So, you know, be it my children being young and being pregnant and, you know, I, I always made sure that I was doing something to, to advance in my career. Right. That's great. And your experience coming from Calgary to Toronto, did you find yourself more, I mean, it, it sounds like you did, but once that move was completed, did you find yourself even now more motivated to, to get going? And, and what was, what is it like for people who are listening and who aren't yet in Canada or who have just moved, I think it would be useful for you to maybe get into a little bit about what makes Toronto um, in your experience anyway, um, a really good place to to look at when you're looking to start a legal career, if if that's what you feel, if that it is a good spot. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, there there is always kind of a neg negative side to uh, everything that we do. I mean, coming from somewhere like um, England and having practiced uh, in areas I, I was mostly in practice in, in Bristol, which is like, you know, a lot of people tend to call it the second to, to London. Um, and it was an extremely saturated market as it is in London and throughout the rest of England as well. The legal field, you know, is is extremely saturated but having said that there is still a job for everyone you know whereas mm. um in Toronto I find that it, it's becoming much like that that it's becoming an overly saturated market and to be able to provide everyone with a job that they're going to be happy with is, is kind of um a little bit of a dream so um to, to understand what the marketplace is doing would be extremely helpful. Um, I didn't really need to decide that because I was kind of motivated by my, you know, husband's work schedule more than anything. And, you know, wherever I landed, I'd be doing my, my own thing. But essentially, mm -hmm. um, you know, if Toronto was given to me, I, I would make the best of it. And as it, and as it happens, um, you know, I didn't, when I went to sit the bar, I didn't actually pass it because you know my kids were that little bit young and um I've not had the time to kind of attempt that again and, and mm -hmm. instead what I've done is try and find a way to kind of fill that gap you know whilst my kids are um you know getting older and start to become a little bit more independent slowly you know I am hoping that another opportunity will present itself um, for me to sit sit that exam again but essentially um just if you're gonna if you're gonna do your NCAs really understand your options because it's not um it, it's not always possible to kind of live the ideal dream that, you know, you're going to come over, you're going to find your articling, you're going to end up doing uh, practicing law. For many people that happens and that's, that's fantastic. But there is a minority where that's not always possible. So under, understanding some of your choices and, and what's around is also very good. Yeah, and that's kind of what I wanted to get into a little bit with you of sana is you know obviously your journey is unique um you know coming to to canada after already sort of establishing a a bit of a career for yourself in the uk and having to sort of start over unfortunately um but i'm wondering because there are a lot of people who do come to canada with with previous 
you know, law practice experience in their home jurisdictions, and they come to Canada with aims of practicing law, but for one reason or another, um, and there are many reasons, um, they don't end up practicing. Um, I, I guess they don't end up either practicing in the area that they had hoped they would, or practicing law at all. Um, and I've heard, and you know, you're a testament to this, that there are opportunities for these candidates outside of just practice. So I'm curious what your experience was like. Like you said, um, you know, things were a bit crazy for you when you're writing the bar in the first instance, and it didn't go well. Um, and, and you're sort of taking mm -hmm. some time to reassess and to, to perhaps do it in the future. But what do you do in the meantime? Like, cause you, you know, you're, you're an ambitious woman who's, who's built a career for herself. And I bet your, your, your engines are really going, you really want to get going and doing something productive and meaningful in, in your work. Mm -hmm. um, and so what do you do? How, where do you turn to? How do you, how do you find that inspiration elsewhere? Just to clarify, I'm not currently practicing in Ontario. Well, the, the first thing to remember for a lot of people who, who may be listening is that, um, you know, as people who are so ambitious in their careers and especially legal careers where, you know, there's a lot of investment in time and energy and, and even money that goes into it. You know, we all have like a certain expectation of how we see the end result being. but understanding that that might not always be kind of where where we end up is, is helpful because we the, the disappointment that we may or may not feel you know when we get to that juncture can, can really make or break us and as you say I, I am a very ambitious woman I'm very kind of um I, I want to be at my best at all times, but given certain situations that you just can't help, you know, that there are times when you're not going to be at your best. So then you need to rethink about what, what other things that aside from what you think your best is, what, what else is there that you can offer that could be helpful mm -hmm. to somebody. And, um, I was crazy with networking at the time. Um, and so I was going, I joined the Advocate Society, I joined the OBA, I joined all these different societies where I could meet people. And um, I was also working for a law firm at the time who had like a designated um, mediator on site. And mediation was something that I had never considered before in England because it just wasn't popular. Um, but it had always been a part of my practice through negotiation, which is which is what I very much enjoyed, you know, when I was helping my clients and I was always kind of the kind of person that would um, want to leave something on the table and negotiate well and effectively and make sure clients on both sides were happy with the end result. And so I was at a networking event at um, Arbitration Place and um, somebody asked me, so what interests you in, uh, in mediation? And I simply said, you know, I think looking back now, something that I had never realized is that the best part of my practice during those years was negotiating, was making sure that people have a fair settlement. And, and I think that's kind of very true to who I am as a lawyer and very true to who I am as a person as well. Just kind of 
not not leaving anyone mm. badly <laughs> you know always making sure that you leave something good on the table and then you know you're you're fighting your client's corner or whoever's corner you're you're fighting that well very well as well so um my inspiration for getting into um, mediation was that okay you know fair enough I have to wait until my family situation changes before I can um, attempt the attempt the bar again which you know it's not it's not a huge a huge task it's 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 more of an investment in time for yeah. me than anything else um, and and I just don't have that opportunity presented to me so it, it's what I can do in, in the meantime maybe I'll just even find a, a passion that's so different to what my expectation was and lucky for me, I did. So mediation is all that it's all about for me now. You know, I set up my practice um, just over a year ago. Um, I'm still very much in the, you, you know, developing my practice and getting it out there, promoting it. And, you know, through it, I've met so many different people that not only mediate, but, but help the legal system in so many different ways that is creative and thoughtful um and so I, I i always try and tell anybody that you know any younger students or anybody that you know law should be yeah perhaps it should be your ultimate goal but don't miss all the all the opportunities in between that may present itself to you that may, that that could be the thing you can do instead of practicing. Yeah, you know? that's true. And I think um, I'm really interested, actually, just even selfishly, and I hope some of the listeners anyway are <laughs> as well. What goes into so like, how do you become a mediator? Because uh, I think there's people listening to this podcast who, who may be in very similar situations to yourself of Sana and who are wondering, oh, I didn't even think of that. Um, how do I start? Where do so let's let's pretend it's me who's looking into and maybe it is <laughs> looking into a career in mediation what should be the first thing that I do well it, it depends where you are in your in your career or whether your career has started yet or not I mean the the idea in Canada seems to be that if if you want to pursue a career in mediation, that you need to become certified and show your clients and show the um, uh, mediation community that you're serious about the career path that you want to to follow. So, the the first place I would go to is looking at you know where where you are in in your career. Are you a lawyer or are you a non lawyer? And so if you are a lawyer, it changes how you want to promote yourself into the field, as opposed to if you're not a lawyer, how you're going to promote yourself and how you're going to build up your network. Uh, and, and I think the network element is your is the biggest part to play. I mean, for, for me, certainly it was. Um, for, for years, you know, I've been in Canada for almost nine years now. And for the best part, the last six years, all I have been doing mm. is networking and building up my profile, letting people know who I am, getting myself introduced to people. Uh, and that has helped me understand the market so well that I know what, what could potentially be the pitfalls or what could be the potential successes. Um, 
And, and I think that's what a lot of people need to figure out. The starting career in mediation is by no means easy. There's a lot of mediators out there um, and, and sometimes there just isn't enough work. And also, you know, the trend seems to be that it's a lot of the senior senior lawyers who tend to uh, change their careers or transition their careers into be becoming a mediator. And so they already have built up a network through right. their practice, yep. you know, people that they often mediate with will, will have known about them. So it, it's easy to, uh, to transition your career in that way. But for people like myself and for people who may be thinking of uh, mediation as a career much younger, you know, it, it's all about how you're going to really promote yourself. So, so that's the thing. I think, I think the thing to take away before you begin is really research the mediation market. Um, how tough is it going to be for you to get in? How, what are the things that you can do to get yourself noticed? What kind of qualifications do you need? Of course, yeah. And I wonder, um, sort of speaking about how to get yourself noticed and building um, you know, hopefully what, what would be eventually a substantial client base, are there opportunities for mediators to find niche areas of expertise or expertise or specialization? Or is it sort of general mediation where problems or issues are presented to you and then you just, you do your thing? Yeah, it, it depends. Again, if um, uh, I mean, speaking about my uh, personal experience is that I used to practice personal injury law um, in the UK. And so it made sense that I promote my mediation career um, as a uh, insurance defense or personal injury mediator, because I guess that's where most of my talents mm -hmm. lie. But that's not to say that you have to kind of pigeonhole yourself. Um, mediation is very kind of methodical in how it's practiced, very, you know, it's um, it, it's it, in some terms, I guess, it's a, there's a very standard way of making sure that the negotiations take place correctly, that the mediations are taken, that the negotiations are taking place fairly as well. And that's an art in itself, despite the subject matter. But having knowledge about the area in which you're going to negotiate or, or mediate it, it can be extremely helpful. And it's an easy way to market yourself as well to say that, like, you know, I'm uh, an expert in, in this field, whatever it may be. Um, but it, it's certainly not a necessity. Right. And when we talk about um, clients for a mediator, let's say such as yourself, um, who are your clients? Like if somebody's thinking, okay, I think this is something I want to look into. Um, I'm sure there's, you know, actually, maybe we should first just quickly say, Afsana, is there a specific accreditation you need or certificate from a college or institution that you need to achieve? No, um, mediation is uh, a, an unregulated ah. area. And so there is no one telling you that, you know, you need a certificate of such and sort or anything, but um, it certainly gives you a right. platform is, is all I can say. I mean, I um, didn't have it in my plans because of my legal background and all the education, you know, that I've been through to see a need to then get extra certification in mediation. But what, 
I, I did end up joining um, the ADR Institute of um, Canada um, and Ontario, who eventually gave me my qualified mediation certificate. And, and I think, you know, as a person who's starting out, and especially because I don't have like a, a, a history of practicing in mm -hmm. Canada or anything, it was important for me to kind of get that certification. So whilst there isn't um, a necessity to get it, um, it, it's certainly helpful. And there's lots of courses out there that, that you can get involved with. I think Harvard do one. Um, was that I know, know Harvard do one. And then there's um, the Stip Belt and Handy course and lots of other companies that are offering training for, um, for mediation. Very interesting. So yeah, no, so that's good to know um, for people who might be interested, but also then um, to piggyback on that. So if somebody is interested in becoming a mediator potentially, and then they're looking to, um, I suppose, do a bit of an analysis of their own network uh you know if if they're involved in certain organizations now if they have some affiliations with organizations professionally already um what who's the client for the mediator who is your client and how do you get more of them <laughs> oh well, that's the million that's the dollar question, question. Hey? yeah uh <laughs> yeah and it's not an easy one to answer because um you know your your lawyers could come from your clients could come from anywhere i mean at the moment uh, um you know my position is marketing myself so that anyone can reach out and whether it be communities whether it be self-represented people whether it be um uh, lawyers you know so it, it could be it could it could be any one of those things right but my connection i guess is through um is through lawyers because they're the ones that my um, career has kind of grown with and so the connection is better and I can I can tap into um, that market better than any others because it's the most familiar yeah. to me so that that would be the base of my my client but but it, it, it's not to say that you can't reach out and there isn't enough work amongst self-represented or um, you know community Afsana, I think you go ahead. So it's not like you can't get clients um, by other means through communities, through, um, uh, oh gosh, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to pause. No worries, no worries, that's okay. <laughs> I've lost my, I've lost my thread. Um, okay, shall, shall I go ahead again? How about I, I'll lead you in and we can kind of go okay. from there. Okay, so I'll say. Um, yeah, and it sounds like your, your um, particular source of clients and you, your ability to work with lawyers stems from, a, you know, a past that you have and an ability to kind of speak their language sort of thing so that they, you kind of understand where each other are coming from and you kind of get um, what kind of work the lawyer needs doing and what kind of, um, you know, mindset or headspace the, their, their clients are in and what kind of job you'll be doing in mediating. But I'm curious about, um, you know, I, different kinds of organizations is, can, can, a, can a corporation come to you? Can a community organization come to you? Where else um, would people look to source clients from? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it, it could come from any number of places, right? So there are certain panels that can be joined. Um, there are communities where they they need help. There's um, lots of communities that 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 need the help on a pro bono basis, if not on a the kind of a lower rate. Um, there's St. Stephen's House, there's, um, you, you know, there, there are opportunities that can present themselves, mm. but I think ultimately it's up to the mediator themselves that need to go and find those opportunities and be creative about the opportunities as well. Um, you know, and with COVID uh, having been with us for over a year, I'm sure that once we get out of this, you know, there's going to be a bigger need for, for, for mediation because, you know, ultimately the courts are going to be so backlogged mm -hmm. that, you know, if uh, if we're all kind of running to the courts with our problems and, you know, it's going to be years before it gets heard. I mean, it's years before it gets heard anyway. And now with the COVID backlog, um, the chances are if you're going to file a claim, uh, it's unlikely that it's going to get heard. So, well, heard anytime soon. So mediation is, is I think, going to become... Uh, a, a need for the smaller communities where either they haven't got the financial ability to go, go and file a claim or they just don't understand how the system works and so they just want to get rid of their problems and um, letting people know letting your communities know that these types of services are available is also very important because they could be your uh, you know you, you, the basis of your uh, income so um, yeah, it's it's all it's. I I would really advise anyone who's looking into this or who has started a new career. You know, first first place to look would be your community, mm. uh, if you don't already have like a network in place. Yeah, I'd say that makes sense. And actually, you mentioned like a you know I think COVID's done a lot of things. Like I'm involved in international education in some way, and also the provision of education for the purposes of, you know, NCA accreditation and paralegaling. Um, and what's interesting in my mind is that COVID's making or causing a lot of things to change um, that were slowly, you could kind of get a sense as the as technology was getting better and better, um, services were required to be quicker and cheaper from, you know, and now all of a sudden with COVID, you have people who were otherwise employed who are now not, or who have different financial circumstances that would possibly um, negate their ability to, you know, go see a lawyer and file a claim in the traditional sense. So it would, it would seem to me, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that perhaps mediation can kind of rise from the ashes of all of this as an alt as a reasonable and reasonable um, relatively quick and, and financially more acceptable way of getting a dispute solved or a matter, um, you know, a matter solved rather than going through the courts. Oh, absolutely. I mean, pre-litigation mediation is a real option for people um, that really... <sighs> It, it could it not only alleviate the problem sooner, it, it saves you court filing fees uh, and it saves time as well. You know, something that you could potentially get um, resolved within weeks rather than 
months or even years, you know, why, why not take that opportunity? So it, it's kind of letting people know that these services are available, that that's like what we're trying to work toward more than anything. And also people are so used to going down the traditional route that if they have a um, legal argument of any sort, the first thing they'll turn to is filing the, the claim or, or looking to the traditional routes. And it doesn't always have to be like that, you know, with, um, with COVID, and as you rightly said, there are some industries that can, uh, many people have been displaced, you know, neighborhood disputes, um, renovation disputes, you mm -hmm. know, all these kind of things that can stay outside of the court and resolve fairly quickly. I think, you know, if, you, if you're not going to negotiate a, with, uh, you know, before the case is actually litigated, then look to mediation. It's a service that's far more cheaper than uh, the court system can offer, you know, with the litigation fees that are involved, the, the you know, disbursements in terms of, you know, if you need expert reports, if you need um, witness reports, you know, things like that, that can, you know, really kind of rack up the costs, all that can be avoided. Uh, and squeezed into um, uh, the mediator's fees and mediator's fees can vary. So you, you will need to shop around to see who can offer you kind of uh, service and price. Um, so, but certainly, you know, it, it will work out um, more beneficial in terms of time and money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very, very interesting, Afsana. I mean, I could keep going on and on and asking mm -hmm. you questions about it, because it, I, I really do think that it is a bit of a burgeoning um, sort of field that it has existed for quite some time. You know, mediation, um, it's just been sort of in on the back, the back bench kind of thing, not really at the fore when it comes to disputes, um, particularly mm -hmm. in Canada. I mean, it's it's been there, but also I'm just anecdotally from your from your perspective do certain like let's pretend there's there's an employment law practice and there's an organization against an individual claimant or you know an individual person um do you find that those cases often can come to a mediator like for like how does that work like why would a lawyer um who's got a client refer a case to a mediator or, or would they is that done by the courts or, or how does that work <laughs> exactly oh absolutely um it, it can happen in several different ways i mean the employment contract may have a clause in it that says that any um uh anything that kind of veers towards litigation must be mediated or arbitrated so um and there are some situations where um, the company HR departments will also say that, um, uh, you know, we have mediators who will help you resolve the issues rather than going through the traditional court systems. Or, you know, if eventually you find yourself a lawyer and you have a claim uh, in your hands, then the lawyer will also say, look, I think this is a case that could potentially be resolved through mediation. So why don't we try that first? And if it doesn't work, then we'll you know go through the traditional system i see i understand and uh yeah anyway okay that's really good i uh, i'm kind of learning um along with the listener here it's really interesting and as somebody who has a law degree and who you know like you isn't practicing law i'm involved in education and I, i'm always really interested in alternative routes to a career 
you know, because I'm I'm myself experiencing one, and um, and you're experiencing it as sort of a different kind of one, and um, yours seems really interesting, and that sort of sky is the limit, as you say. Um, with mediation, the job is for you to brand yourself effectively, to build your network, to sort of slowly but surely build a client base. Um, but really, um, I don't see, I, I mean, the constraint is just your time, I suppose. <laughs> Otherwise, sky's the limit. Yeah, it, it really is. And what I've uh, learned and something that maybe has always been in me, but I've never had the uh, opportunity to pursue it is that mediation is actually, it, it's, it's extremely well suited to my personality. Mm -hmm. I think it's very kind of rhythmic with me. I, I enjoy it. And the fact that it has so many elements of uh, who you are or who you used to be as a lawyer as well that I think it, it's not taken anything away from me had I been practicing as a lawyer so I love the advocacy element of it I love the um, learning from my clients constantly learning from my um, peers constantly and just being involved in a society where you're very well taken care of in terms of, you know, how you should be practicing, um, what, how to enhance your practice, um, and, and helping people. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it, perhaps the most important thing is that letting people know that access to justice doesn't always have to be through through, through courts. Yeah. Access to justice can be through cheaper means, through through more kind of amenable ways amicable ways of, of sorting out a problem rather than going through the contentious um way yeah, because don't always don't forget that people who then decide to go through the traditional route you know that there is a higher element of risk attached to that sure. because you know from costs being awarded or not being awarded to uh you know there's always one winner and one loser you know, so all of those are taken out of the equation when you're mediating. So for, for me, it, it seemed like however I practiced law um, back, back in England has, has in, in effect translated itself into my practice as a mediator. I think this is kind of, I, I feel like I'm at my optimum with this practice. Wow, that's so, amazing. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying, you know, for, for students out there who feel like, you know, I've, obviously there's no saying that I wasn't disappointed when I found out that I hadn't got passed and that I would have to go through the same process again. Mm. You know, of course it's disappointing. There's no, there's no way around that. But it's, it, it, you know, if you're going to attempt it again, then that's, that's great, you know, go for it. But if you feel like, you know, it's, it's just something that needs to either wait or something that you don't feel that you're going to get past. You know, there are, there are, there's so much opportunity out there that you'll have, you'll have passed, you'll have never known about had you not tried. And I think mediation is that for me, that I, I, I was lucky to find it. I'm very lucky to have, um, to, to be enjoying it. And, you know, for those lucky clients, they eventually find me, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And I, so like, this has all been really, really great information, actually, never had prior to this conversation on the podcast really had a conversation with anybody about the prospect of mediation as a career opportunity 
for internationally trained lawyers and even domestically trained lawyers who either mm -hmm. at some point do practice in Canada or at some point don't. So it's been really helpful for me and for everybody I know. And so now just wrapping up on the conversation of Sun, I'm wondering if you could kind of, you know, spend a couple of minutes talking about how you see the future going for you. Like I envision um, as, as many lawyers who first get called and you want to, uh, you know, hang a shingle, um, there's a lot of managing the practice of being a mediator, but also managing being a businesswoman and um, thinking about that branding and thinking about how to market and different marketing channels. Perhaps you're using like a sales force or some kind of customer relations manager, all of that. Like, is that something that you're proficient in now? And how do you plan to sort of grow? It's uh, it's lucky for me that I actually enjoy that side of things. From <laughs> Good, yeah. Quite a, yeah, from, from quite a young age. I mean, I grew up in, in a fairly big family and, you know, I was one of the younger ones. So you kind of see your brothers and sisters like going through things and starting their careers way ahead of when you started yours. And, you know, you get to have a kind of, you know some sort of uh in informational vortex of you know what they're going through mm -hmm. and um how you're gonna how you can help them as well and so a lot of my um siblings were actually entrepreneurs as well and still are and so I've always enjoyed kind of watching that that side of things unfold and so my level of knowledge on, on how it unfolds is perhaps a step ahead of somebody that might not have that experience so I've actually really loved putting that side of things into action mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to say it's been easy uh, and time-wise um it's it's quite um it's very time consuming. So you need to make sure that whilst you've got your practice in mediation, you need to dedicate a lot of your time into promoting, into um, networking. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully through that, once business starts coming in, you're going to have to manage the business as well. So you're constantly wearing two hats. I, I really like it. I I enjoy it. I don't enjoy it when I don't have time to do everything that I want to do. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it it's not something that I'm I'm doing in the in the meantime. It's not something that I, I think this is now kind of the baby I want to grow. Mm -hmm. And so um we're, we're yet to see you know how far I can go and how far I need to go but it's uh you know all the uh, I'm doing lots of writing at the moment I'm doing um lots of work with cultural competency as well mm -hmm. and introducing that into um you know it, it's nothing new obviously but um equity diversity and inclusion is kind of a big topic at the moment mm. and so i i'm doing lots of uh, that type of work within the field as well so in terms of growing it there are two different angles that i am taking uh, and each one is so meaningful to me mm. um uh, and I, I don't know where i'll go but <laughs> I, I hope it continues <laughs> yeah as you're talking of it kind of sounds like me in a way like when somebody you know it, it it's uh, the building part is 
always, from my experience anyway, longer than you ever anticipated being and harder <laughs> than you mm -hmm. anticipate, you know, with in education, it's building a program, connecting with people and, you know, eventually filling that program with successful graduates and all of this, that and the other. But uh, it's unbelievable how, you know, like you say, you're doing a lot of writing and I do too, you know, we, we publish blogs and there's all kinds of things to do. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it takes quite a bit of effort and really to with little to no reward, at least monetarily. Um, at the beginning, you know, it takes time to build something that eventually will start reaping those rewards. But um, I think it sounds like we both share something in common in that we really enjoy that process. Yeah, I, absolutely. And I think if you're thinking along these lines, you have to be able to enjoy that you because a large part of it before you establish anything, I guess, not just a practice in mediation. Um, the promotional part and understanding effective promotion as well is, is very important and you, you've got to enjoy the ride. Yeah, exactly. Well, Afsana, on that note, I can't wait to catch up with you um, and have the listeners catch up with you, let's say in maybe six months to, to take stock of where you are at that point. And hopefully we're out of COVID at least Oh, uh, I hope so. <laughs> I know. But it, I think it'll be a really interesting opportunity for us to kind of follow you along, you know, as somebody who's who's come from abroad and who's set up roots in a bit of a a bit of a different way. I mean, this podcast is for internationally trained lawyers, but we all know that more than half of them don't end up practicing law. And there's just there's a lot of us out there, Afsana. It's just I feel like sometimes we're underrepresented in in the medium of, you know, whether it be success stories on YouTube or success stories on Facebook and blogs. That's all great. But what about, you know, all the great things that everybody's doing that doesn't necessarily involve the practice of law? Um, I mean, the law degree is such a transferable degree. You learn so many skills. Um, that really you could be plopped into many different organizations and careers and succeed. And it sounds like you found yours, which is amazing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, as you said, Anton, it is one of the most versatile degrees you could have. I, I was told that at a very early stage um, in my career that even if I don't decide to do the bar exams in Canada or in England, you know, there are so many opportunities that can open up. Um, it's, it's just being creative and finding them. So um, I hope every, anyone out there who is in that position who just doesn't know what they want to do just, you know, sit down and have a think about it. Mm -hmm. There's lots that you can do. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Afsana. I really appreciate it. And I know the listeners will as well. No, oh, thank you for having me, Anton. Thanks for asking to do this. It's been great. And that does it for this episode of A Shot of Life. Thanks again, as always, to my guests, and thanks to you, the listeners. Until next time, we'll talk again.